you have something to say, I'd like to hear it. I want a divorce. Are you asking me for a divorce? Divorce? I will divorce you so fast, it'll make your head spin. I want a divorce. 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 This is Dallas Divorce Talk with Don Butner and Carla Calabrese. Don and Carla guide you deep inside the world of divorce through all the ins and outs, ups and downs, and any unexpected turns. Now, your hosts to have and to hear, Don Budner and Carla Calabrese. Good morning. This is Dawn Budner. I'm here with Carla Calabrese on Dallas Divorce Talk, where families matter. We are on On Air Live, and please be sure to watch onairlive.com, iTunes, YouTube, and DDT Facebook to hook up with us. We are so glad to be here today because we have something very important to tell you people. Don't we, Carla? We do. That we do. What is our what is our important topic today? Our important topic is why you should never ever go near the courthouse. What Carla said was in bold with underline. <laughs> why you should never ever ever go to family court. Carla can say that because she is very well versed in the kinder, gentler approach to divorce. Collabor- collaborative law. Yes. Collaborative divorce. And you know how they say good cop, bad cop sometimes? Well, um, Carla really enjoys working with me because who's the bad cop, Carla? You are, Dawn. Yes, that would be me. <laughs> I don't know why. Sorry, this is your producer jumping in. I, I, I just assumed Carla would be the bad guy. I know. That's what I thought. It's so much, it, it makes so much more sense for Carla to be the bad guy. I guess she just wants to have that element of surprise, you know, someone that is so sweet and lovable, loved by all uh, as the about, bad guy. I don't know about it. sweet, but well, yeah. I'll take lovable. Okay, fine. Just don't ask, don't ask my husband. <laughs> Uh, so what we really want to do today, guys, is let you know why we are so strong in our recommendation that you think before you leap to the courthouse in a family law case. So many times people that are looking for a lawyer think I'm going to go find the the toughest, baddest lawyer out there so no one can take advantage of me. And often that is the first step in the wrong direction. So Carla, when you think about reasons that people should avoid going to the courthouse for their divorce, what what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, I think one of the first things that comes to my mind is that you can never, ever guarantee anything to a client who chooses the courthouse to resolve their family law differences versus working them out on their own through settlement track or a collaborative divorce or some other out-of-court process. I think that um, people believe that they get down there and a judge is going to rule a certain way because, oh my goodness, that's the way it should be or that's what the law says. And I think in family law, almost more so than in any other kind of law, because I was a um, commercial litigator before I did family law, I think in family law, there's me- because the emotions are so high, um, there's so many other things that come into play. And I think at the courthouse, I mean, you even have the judge's own, I mean, biases and their own... Um, 
their own ways of looking at things that from a from a family perspective, having grown up in a family, having their own family, um, which is very different than reading a contract and just saying, hey, how does this contract interpreted? So I think your risk is much higher going down there uh, in getting the result you think you're supposed to get. So, so that- I, I want to touch on a couple things you said. Having your day in court, how often do we hear people say, I want to have my day in court because they really feel like if they could just explain the situation to an objective third party, then they would get some understanding and, you know, the, the quote, right thing would come from that. Um, is, in your experience, is that what happens at the courthouse? I think rarely. I mean, not that it would never, ever happen, because I do think that there are some cases that are so obvious that the judge can only do one thing. But I think that's really the outlier. I think the, the most cases there are judges, you know, the judges have a hard time deciding what is the right thing because they just cannot comprehend the complexities of what got those two people to that place. And they don't have the time. I mean, in a typical temporary order hearing, as you know, because you've had more of them, <laughs> more of those in your, you know, 18 months of being with my firm than you, you would care to admit. But most courts just give you 20 minutes per side. And that's your first opportunity to visit with your judge and your first opportunity to tell your story and sometimes your only opportunity. And you get 20 minutes each. Right. And often what the judge rules at that temporary orders hearing sort of becomes the status quo. And from there, you have to really fight uphill to change it. Yeah, Um, very true. And one thing I'll say, because I have been in court, I think constantly is an accurate description of late. And family court is different from any other court I've experienced. And I was a a business litigator for 20 years. And the things that jump out at me as the big distinctions are what you just mentioned, which is in a business case or really anything but a family case, you you can pretty well assess the likelihood that you're going to win or lose. You've got the law and you've got the two different positions and, you know, just whichever one you're on doesn't matter. You can still, as a lawyer, look at it and say, you know, this is the stronger side and assess that risk for your client. In family court, not only is it true what Carla just mentioned, which is that it is literally impossible for the judge to know you in the short time allotted. You may get lucky, and without knowing you, the judge may guess right, but just as likely, the judge may misinterpret or not understand the facts because of the time constraints. Speaking of time constraints, Mm -hmm. Kevin is waving his hands at me. (laughs) You've got about about a minute and a half left. Oh, I do? Okay, good. Maybe he was just saying hi. (laughs) That was premature on my part. Yeah, it was a peace sign, not a two Oh, good. Okay. Okay, nice. Uh, But no, that goes to your your other point, Carla, about... uh, you know, you know your family and what is best for your family in a way that nobody else can know. Both spouses do. Both spouses know in great detail, um, you know, the relationship 
and what's gone before and the children and their sensitivities and that sort of thing. So the number one reason that you should not go to court for resolution of a divorce or custody matter um, or property is because of that, because you know your family and you know what you need and you know what is right better than anyone else can. So keep control of your family. And that's what out-of-court settlements do. Collaborative divorce and out-of-court settlements allow you to keep control. That's why we vote for them. (laughs) Going to a break, guys. Don't split. More of Dallas Divorce Talk coming up next. Celebrating the sanctity of good radio, this is Dallas Divorce Talk. This is Dallas Divorce Talk, where families matter. You're here with Dawn Budner and Carla Calabrese on On Air Live. And we're talking today about some of the reasons why you never, ever, ever want to go to family court. And one thing, Carla, you just mentioned uh, that I love because it's so true is talking about the fact that judges and juries are real people. And real people have life experiences which make them biased. Bias is not a bad thing. We all have bias based on our own experiences. So the bigger point around that is if the judge had a really mean mom and you look just like her, you're not going to know that until you get in court. And for some reason, the judge doesn't understand she or he are ruling against you with everything you're asking for. Um, And or, you know, folks have seen different things, right? Been exposed to different things, have different sensitivities. And there's no way to know that. I mean, you can do some work in selecting a jury to try to draw some of those things out. But you never, ever are able to do a perfect job. So, right. And then, you know, we were talking about um, a couple of days ago in our office at Calabrese Huff, we were talking about a case that Dawn recently had uh, that she just had been to court on probably for the third time. And it was a case where that exact thing we thought happened, where you went down and you just couldn't believe that the the result was what it was. And the only thing you could really attribute it to is that that the judge just didn't have a lot of respect for women in the business world. And so you want to talk a little bit about <laughs> sure, kind of sure. that case? Absolutely. And let me say, I, you know, my experience as a female going to school, law school, working at a law firm in Dallas. Has, with, with a lot of men in that With firm. a lot of men. Yeah. And I, you know, not not so few women that I felt like I had to be the pioneer, like when they used to wear the men's suits with the little bow ties. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was not me, thank God. <laughs> but soon on the heels, uh, you and I both right. entered exactly. uh, the workplace and the law firms. And I never in my career felt discriminated against as a woman. Now, I did really well in law school, not to brag, but I'm kind of bragging right now because I hope a lot of people heard that. <laughs> um, but... I, I just didn't. And 
all that has changed now. Mm-hmm. Now that I am working in family law, <laughs> that is out the window, and I understand what all the women are talking about when they're saying they are not respected. Mm-hmm. And so what Carla is wanting me to warn you folks about is that you know, this could happen in Dallas County. Uh, it did happen in a surrounding county. But basically, my client and her husband started a business 16 years ago. They were equal partners. In fact, it was the, the wife's money, seed money, that started the business. And she was the one kind of pushing the husband who wasn't maybe as confident at first. Um, the business has become very successful. And now, she was like the financial mind yes, behind yes. it. And so was, she was all about the dollars. And he was more of the kind of glad hander who could who could put it together from a personal perspective. And he was more like a sales guy. Right, exactly. And working with a lot of men on the operation side. But basically what happened is things have gone south. And the husband, to my absolute shock and horror has succeeded in marginalizing his wife so that she is essentially being pushed out of the business. And here's here's how he did it. Are you ready? It's this one sentence was all it took. Wife is disruptive. Wife, wife is disruptive at the business. And that's really all it took, folks. The... the Husband's lawyer and the judge exchanged a knowing look. We all know what happens when you got a disruptive, angry woman around and you're trying to do business. And that is it. They brought in, you know, three or four employees who know who's running the show. Their examples were few. The worst thing they could say is that she had yelled at one guy and it was a business disagreement, by the way. It wasn't her monthly cycle. <laughs> and that was it. And on that evidence, the judge, while acknowledging that under corporate law, the corporation is not in front of him and he probably isn't supposed to be messing with company affairs, but he felt he needed to save the business. And he took so, her salary away. Yes, he took her salary away, which she is she has received for 16 years. Equal salary to her husband. Yes. They're, they're complete and 100%, 50, um, uh, 50%. Uh, owners of this business, and that judge took her salary away and pretty much said that she was not to step foot in the off- offices. And and he doesn't think that there's really a job for her to do there, the wife, as he called her. He kept calling her the wife throughout the entire hearing. They're just the, Everything's getting done, so she's not needed. So if that doesn't send you running and screaming for the hills, I don't know what <laughs> will. Um, but we're not done there, and I'm not <laughs> resting until we make this right. Yeah. But it's costing a lot a of lot money. A lot of money. A lot. lot of money, yeah. And it's not good for anybody. Now, the problem is that we haven't talked about is that depending on who your spouse hires, that may dictate for you whether you have to go to court. If your spouse hires somebody who is more interested in making a buck than making a difference, I just made that up, you guys. <laughs> I like it. Then, Very nice. thank you, thank you. <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay. I'm writing that down. <laughs> Please do. But if that happens, then you may not be able to use some of these processes, collaborative law being the number one best progressive forward thinking healing process if your spouse won't agree. And that's why we're wanting to educate folks because nobody wins. 
you know, there's the, the old saying that the only people who win at the courthouse and family court are the lawyers. And that is the truth. Because even if you prevail on some or all of your positions, you, especially if you have children, are going to be living with the damage that you've done to the other parent of your children forever. There's no going back from that. Yeah, there really isn't. I mean, it's very difficult. We see a lot of modifications in our cases that involve um, the courthouse and litigated matters, and we see almost no pe- no people come back from when we do our collaborative cases. And if they do come back in collaboration, they come back and work with a neutral parenting coordinator or just you know go in and sort of fine-tune things. But um, we see a lot of recidivism in the um, litigated matters where they're just coming back and coming back and coming back. We had a case once that literally we had for 15 years. That client continued. They Both of them, they just couldn't let go of the fight that they had, um, that they lived through their, their, their litigation. And so that's just one, another reason you don't want to go to the courthouse because you really have a legacy when you're down there that it's hard to overcome. It's hard to heal. Divorce is hard enough. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, it is hard enough without having to you know, put your boxing gloves on and punch each other out at the courthouse. So, um, you know, we're here because we really feel strongly that this information needs to be disseminated out there and the real truth needs to be said about litigation. People don't want to talk about it. I think they're afraid to say the truth, which is, I mean, we, we do as collaborative divorce lawyers, we talk about it, but really not in a venue like this where we're on air or, you know, willing to sort of start shouting the shouting it from the rooftops. And that and now that Dawn's Car- ha- guys, yeah. um, we, we have to break Carla's no. gonna go shout from the rooftops <laughs> right now. But our friend Kevin mm-hmm. is waving that we are out of time. So Dallas, remember families matter. More of Dallas Divorce Talk coming up. At first I was afraid, I was petrified. I kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights... Celebrating the sanctity of good radio, this is Dallas Divorce Talk. What you want? And we're back. Dallas Divorce Talk, where families matter on On Air Live. I'm going to start singing. Oh my gosh, do you? <laughs> I love that song. Well, I have a terrible voice. So I well, that'd be fun for me, though, later to listen. <laughs> How are you, everybody? We are finishing up in this third segment our best evidence on why you should never, ever, ever go to family court. And a question arises. Who is the decision maker in family court? And I was just telling Carla, this is so interesting, but only Texas and Georgia allow for any decisions in family court cases to be made by juries. That is interesting. It is. The only two states in the country. I know. And of course, that that typically means that you're doing something right if you're (laughs) one of two out of 48, (laughs) right? I I I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, maybe not. No, I'm a fan. I enjoy a jury trial and I love psychology, the fun of choosing a jury and making an argument and all that. And don't you want to pay a whole lot of money so that a lawyer can have a lot of fun, you know, (laughs) trying to make a story out of your case and seeing who wins? Um, No, is the answer. But we talked also, Carla, about the issues that can be decided by a jury in Texas. 
Right. Do you want to tell the folks? Um, Very limited. Very limited. Very limited. Um, So a jury can decide, are we talking property? Are we talking... Let's talk about the kids. Talk about the kids. Okay. Um, The only things a jury can decide regarding your children are something called conservatorship, um, which is basically if one person thinks the other person is really awful and wants the sole rights to do what they want to do with the kids. It's called sole managing conservatorship. And you basically have to be selling crack with your child for that to happen. Essentially, yes. I would say that that might not even get you there. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on, you know, the, the day. Exactly. Or the, or the judge or the court or whatever. Um, and then the other thing a jury can decide is the, uh, who has the right to determine, well, domicile restriction. Right. So, um, when you go to the courthouse, the judge can decide that the children, their domicile can be restricted. People get confused about that. They think it's like their constitutional right to be able to travel, and that's unconstitutional and all of that. And basically, the, what the judge will do is they'll look you right in the eye and say, you can go wherever you want, just not your kids. So that's a domicile restriction, and the judge, the jury can decide that. And the jury then also could decide um, the who has the right to determine what they call the primary residence of the children. And that could potentially be within a domicile restriction, but ultimately that just really is relevant if your children are going to public schools. And then that right to determine their primary residence would determine where they went to public schools. So those are the things the jury can decide. Um, that's it. Yes. And so... Far and away, the most common conservatorship in Texas is joint conservatorship, which means both parents share in the rights and duties with respect to the kids. And the primary, a lot of people really, really make a big deal out of it, but all that means is that whichever parent has the primary right to designate the child's residence or right to designate the child's primary residence that person's home is used for purposes of determining where the kid goes to school, if it's public school or whatnot. Uh, but that's really the, the big distinction. And in a lot of cases, there are geographic restrictions because the parents want to make sure that the other parent isn't going to move away and take the kids with them and that sort of thing, which makes sense because in Texas, we have a very strong public policy of keeping the kids uh, close to both parents where they That's can right. have frequent contact with both parents. So, But you could put that issue to a jury. If you find a new boyfriend in a different state and you don't think the judge is going to let you move, <laughs> you can ask the jury if Trust they me, will. Yeah. you won't if it's just about a boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, no, they probably won't. You're going to have to come up with some better facts on that one. But anyway, so that is it on the kids stuff. All the rights and duties and the other detailed issues will be decided by the judge. And child support decided by the judge, too. That's right. The amount of child support. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, what about property division? Um, Property division, uh, the judge can decide. Oops, I don't have it written down. Oh. um, Do you want me to tell you? You can tell me. I'm trying to remember. Do you want to take three guesses? Remember, I'm a collaborative divorce lawyer, so I'm trying to remember, but I cannot remember exactly what it is. Okay, so here's, here's what happens. The jury decides the character of the property if you have a jury trial, meaning the jury decides if property is community or separate. And sometimes that can be really complicated if, for example, you have all kinds of different accounts, if you have premarital or postmarital agreements and whatnot, the jury makes the decision on that, and the jury decides value. 
how much it's worth. So you could have competing experts on, you know, the value of a business, for example, and that sort of thing. But the kicker is that the judge is the one who makes what we call in Texas the just and right property division, which means the judge be the judge and the judge gets the final word on who gets what. So while we do have the option for a jury trial, really, yeah, it really is. At the end of the day, the judge is the one making that property division and that property division will stick unless it is viewed as an abuse of discretion by the appellate court. And when we talk about appellate court and family law, it just brings to mind for me again that mighty dollar sign because I hope for each of you who has been to family court that you never had the experience of going to appellate family court (laughs) because it was already expensive enough in the district court. So let's talk about that. I mean, I I can't imagine. It's got to be you know, fifty, hundred thousand dollars to appeal. It's, a, a case. it's very expensive to appeal a case. Very expensive and very. So yeah, we're definitely um, we don't do a, a lot of a, we don't we don't specialize in appeals in our firm. So we usually get some specialists to come in. We've had a couple of cases that we've appealed over the years, but we most people really can't afford to do that. So you got to get it right first time around. And I think we I think going back to what we start off with is getting it right is 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 working it out on your own. And dealing with either a collaborative divorce lawyer or lawyers, um, a team, collaborative team, mental health professional, financial professional, um, because I guarantee you, you won't be appealing that. You'll you'll be much more satisfied with that, even though it won't be perfect. I think that is a beautiful note to end on. And we hope that you guys will go around and tell everyone you know who might be in this unfortunate situation that they need to educate themselves before they run to a divorce lawyer who's going to get them into family court. They need to learn about the options that they have apart from litigation. Collaborative law being, as I and Carla have said so many times, far and away the, the best option. So with that, we leave you and hope you have a wonderful day. This is Dallas Divorce Talk, where families matter on On Air Live.